Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff along with David Kinneman, the president of Barna. David, we have talked a lot about the return to church. And I think one of the things I've heard from so many pastors, David, is that uh, young families are taking a long time coming back, if at all. What are you hearing yeah, it's, on the ground? On um, I, yeah, I think a lot of churches are dealing with a, uh, with those kinds of challenges, whether it's youth ministry or children's ministry. Um, you know, we talked at the very beginning of the pandemic about what what we described as the psychological impact that, you know, I, 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 having done a lot of social research and seeing how this was shaping up, um, I anticipated this would be not just a long pandemic, but a, a, the impact of the, psych, the psychology of being being separate mm-hmm. uh, lasting for a long time. And, and, you know, a lot of people are going back to obviously going back to school because that's sort of a necessity. And 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 i think you know sort of like youth and young adult sports and children's sports are back back up and 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 rolling with with a little bit you know a, a little bit but not much disruption but i think when it comes to church which has its own kind of you know like unnatural rhythm right like it's, it's very rare we all go together to go somewhere um as a family um, you know, p- pile in the car to go do something. I mean, m- maybe you'd talk about going to a theater. Maybe you would talk about going to a restaurant. Uh, but there's very few things that kind of have this sort of gathering together on a on a, such a consistent basis. It's one of the great powers of the church, and one of the reasons why I think gathering together um, is so important. But um, so far, we're seeing you know some 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 leveling out of church attendance, but also many, many congregations that are really still struggling with that. And I think families and, and again, moms, working moms have been particularly hit hard with the pandemic. And just like so many people are wondering, like, do I really want to still do the work I'm doing? I think a lot of moms and a lot of dads are saying like, do I still want to you know, be a part of a church and be, you know, can, can I do this on my, is, is how important was this really? And um, so I think there's some, some of those kinds of questions that are entering into people's uh, mindsets and um yeah they're they're wondering like what's the real value of the church here in in our time and and i think ch- children's ministry is really taking the taking the brunt of that uh, set of questions and yet children's ministry you did a study that isn't even a year old um remains a really important plank i always thought as go the kids ministry so goes the church and i, I wonder if that's still true what are you seeing in the data david as we prepare to think about kids ministry in this conversation today yeah so we've done a study looking at um uh, children's ministry leaders and 64 percent of those leaders strongly agree that churches cannot grow without effective children's ministry i feel like mm-hmm. this is as you just said you know, one of the planks of of effective ministry. Um, yeah. More than half of parents and guardians say their children's time in ministry uh, is just as important as their own experience in in service. So when you talk about parents um, and their experiences, um, you know, their expectations is like we're we're coming to church at, at, at least at least as important for us coming to church is what our 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 children uh, are going to receive. You know, I think those are important in you know important sort of mileposts on the the road to effective um, children's ministry is recognizing that 
everyone agrees it's important. It's really a question then of how it gets shaped mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And, and I, I would agree too. You know, if you have an amazing sermon, a great band and your kids hate church, it is really hard, particularly for, for first time parents. I saw this all the time in ministry. The parents would say, well, you know, the adult service was good, but the kids like we have to come back because the kids love it so much. And I think you can lose fundamentals like that in the midst of the craziness we've been through. And then what about sources yeah, for discipleship for families, David? Tell us a bit about that. I was going to agree with that. I think I think that um, yeah. um, there is this sense in which we're in a period of, of, of um, uh, the importance of, of caring well for the next generation, just to the point you raised. And, and I do think we're also in a period of time when there's a lot of good questions being raised about how to best do formation. Um, so mm-hmm. on, on the stats side, we find that more than nine in 10 children's ministry leaders say that the home is the source of discipleship. So church leaders are saying, we, we see the home being the source, but parents actually look equally to both the church and the home mm-hmm. for uh, discipleship. And I, I, I think you know a good argument could be made that that both both are right. Like it's actually right for children's ministry leaders to say, you know, we we want this work to be done being being done in the home. But I also think it's okay for church for I'm sorry for pa- for parents to expect hmm. uh, ministry leaders to do um, so, some of that as well because a lot of parents are are struggling. Like you can't give what you don't have, and um, there's some real challenges. I mean, we we've done a fair amount of studies now looking at the transference of faith and. We've just finished this big study with Awana uh, called Children's Ministry in a New Reality. A lot of the stats I'm referring to are coming from this, this brand new project from, from Awana. We're going to be hearing from Matt Markins here in the interview today uh, about the study and about his perspectives related to this. And um, and I think I think this is such an important study. Barna Group has uh, about every about every 20 years come back to children's ministry. I've focused a lot on teens and young adults. Um, and and yet children you know are in many ways sort of the the cornerstone of the effort like we've we've actually got to look at the earliest ages and not underestimate the importance of of doing effective smart formative work um and and again i think there's such an important moment here um for us to be uh to be thinking about this this brand new study will be coming out uh, in about a month from now and um, we're so excited to to release it to to you all as, as uh, listeners and longtime Barna Barna fans and audience our audience. Uh, we're so um, excited to be able to help equip you for ministry in this new reality, especially to children. I think it's such an important part of what all of us are called to. Um, we're all stakeholders in the future of of the church, and and children are that future. And it's such an important moment for us to be rethinking our models and methods of discipleship so that we can actually change that outcome of only only what we see in our research only 10 percent of young people who grow up as christians end up becoming resilient disciples uh so wow. we've got to come up with some different pathways that might make a bigger difference so that's where all this comes from is our our, our new study that's amazing well before we jump into the interview with matt barna has loved getting to work on a research project this research project and report alongside awana and later this month we are going to be sharing some of the initial findings in a free webinar called Children's Ministry in a New Reality, Four Trends Affecting the Future of Kids' Discipleship. We're also coming out this month with a new journal with fresh findings around this topic, and that'll be releasing at the end of May. To register for the webinar and learn more about the journal today, go to barna.com awana. 
That's Barna.com slash A-W-A-N-A. And now for Matt. Matt serves as the president and CEO of Awana, a global leader in child discipleship. Matt firmly believes that in this cultural moment, God is calling church leaders and child influencers to understand the times and to make resilient child disciples who will lead the church in the future. Prior to joining Awana, Matt served in leadership roles with Randall House Publishers, Thomas Nelson Publishers, and was the co-founder of the D6 Conference. And he is also um, the co-founder of the Discipleship Child Discipleship Forum and has co-authored three books. That's a long bio, Matt. Welcome. We're, we're really glad to have you. I'll work with the team on getting that a little shorter. <laughs> no, I meant that was impressive. That was impressive. That's a, that's a <laughs> lot of stuff to accomplish. Yeah, it's great yeah. to be with you too. So Matt, let me start here. You've done this study with Barna. You've had a chance to see some of the results. What are the trends that surprised you? I mean, this is what you do for a living, right? But yeah. always when you look at the data, it's kind of like, mm, whoa, what was that? Anything surprise you? Well, you know, the, the the research that came out 15 years or so ago about this idea that parents are the primary uh, disciples of their kids. And I think, you know, theologically, no one's arguing with that. Mm. I think what surprised me, though, however, here we are kind of 15 years after that, the, the beginning of that movement. I think what surprised me is the lack of confidence that children's ministry leaders have in what's actually happening at the church. So wow. one of the Barna stats, it shows a, a progression of the areas where both church leaders and parents would score the highest, the most influential areas on children, all the way down to the least influential areas. And for church leaders, the areas that scored the lowest were the local church, like what's happening at church with children and the influence that church leaders would have on them. That was really surprising that as a, as a community, the children's ministry community is saying, we don't have a lot of confidence that what we're doing at church is really all that influential on kids. Really? Okay. So as somebody who hasn't had the privilege of reading the report, can you unpack that a little bit? So you're saying, you know, I almost, ex what I expected you to say is church leaders were not very confident of what's happening at home. But what you're saying is, have I got this right? Like I'm leading the church, but I'm not confident that it's making a difference in the life of a child. Is that what yeah, the report and I, found? I think they're also, I think they're also saying what you said about the church as well. Maybe a better person to ask this question to would probably be David, but my, <laughs> my interpretation, my interpretation of what the data is saying is uh, it's, it's church leaders think it should be happening at home and they have such little time uh, on a Sunday or on a weekend with the children uh, mm. The show with that limited time available, there's just a lack of confidence that what we're doing with that time that we're making an impact. What's really cool, though, mm. about the data yeah. is there is some stuff they are doing at church that is having a big impact. And I think we just need to put more light on those areas. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the, the ways to think about what we're seeing largely and, and again, working with um, with the WANA has been a, a great privilege Matt, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, Matt's referring to a study that George Barna did um, about 15 years ago called uh, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, and so much of our work mm -hmm. here at Barna stands on, uh, on, on his shoulders because he's done such pioneering work in so many different areas, including children's ministry. And, and really, one of the things that's happened over the last 15 years, um, really in the digital era, in, in my view, but, but it's not exclusively that is that all of the institutions that serve to form human beings, households, schools, and churches 
and and I would argue those are the three areas that of of kind of our of our shared life that actually create who we are as human beings. There are the the places where our character is formed, where our habits are developed, where yeah. our identities are are clarified. Um, now that could also be the the workplace and the marketplace and you know our political our political spaces, but those are not primarily about human formation. Um, households, schools, and churches, in fact, are, are sort of ordained by God to do that. And really what this study shows us is how many places that that is under strain. Households are under strain. Um, we didn't look a lot at schools, but a lot of our other work is is showing how local local schools, even Christian schools, are having difficulty in the formational process. And churches are also having difficulty. And, and a lot of that is because people's attention spans are much shorter um, even prior to the pandemic, regular church attenders were coming just 1.7 times a month. Really regular people were only coming, you know, less than half the opportunities that they'd have on a given uh, given weekend. Um, and and households are just they're under absolute assault when it comes to you know the the content that's coming into their their homes into the into the minds and hearts of young people. So that's just a little bit of context. Mm. Is that how how are we going to create these? these institutions that can form deep and resilient disciples? That's the real question I think all of us are facing today. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I'd love to know, because we've referenced, both of you have referenced a report that's 15 years old, which, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about over the last 15 years or more. But um, in your experience, Matt, what has changed the most over the years that you've been in children's ministry? And to that end, just to nuance in a bit, what part of the old approach in your view still works? And then what parts are broken and need yeah. to be changed? We, we really need more conversation around the old map and the new map of children's sure. ministry. The, the key, the key uh, methodologies and behaviors and tactics we're using in children's ministry are really based off of assumptions of things that happened in the 80s and 90s, and really some works that were published in the early 2000s. Obviously, we're living in a post-2007, post-iPhone world where where a, a lot has changed. And so yeah. uh, the old map of children's ministry, the kind of the primary motivation, if you were to link, like where is it coming from, is closely connected to what I think we would call the attractional model or church growth model. And by the way, it's not a bad motivation that we would want to have a thriving children's ministry to get more people at our church. That's just common sense. I would say that's mm. stewardship. But unfortunately, what happened is we closely linked it to entertainment. So a lot of the driving force behind children's ministry would be entertainment. And then if we're not careful, we maybe even have like a light, a, a light Bible teaching. And so we've got this recipe where children's ministry has been framed with a motivation to get more people, numerical growth, high levels of entertainment, and then a, a light Bible teaching. And so we have to, we have an opportunity to ask ourselves the question, are those cities on the old map the same, is that the same driving force of children's ministry of the future? So mm. I would say we just, just like an old map maker, you could look at an old map from a hundred years ago or 200 years ago and compare it to now. What's the difference? The difference is we have more information. So we have more information about what's forming our children in terms of secularism, post-Christian culture, even mm. Christian culture as compared to the gospel, spiritual formation, child discipleship. And so as we look forward into the future, we have an opportunity to ask ourselves, what should be the new cities on the map of children's ministry? And rather than it being motivated primarily by numerical growth, I think it should be motivated by lasting faith, forming people in the image and including children 
forming children in the image of a resilient disciple. So then we can have good conversations around, well, what does that look like? What should those key areas of children's ministry be that are going to lead to lasting faith in children? I think that's a great goal. Let me just uh, give you a real easy question to follow up on that one, Matt. So when you're dealing with children's ministry, like, you know, the spiritual formation of five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, how do you map lasting faith? I mean, all the studies that are done now on Gen X as they're leaving the church, and David, you've done a ton of research into this, shows that we're not forming, as a rule, resilient disciples. So, I mean, we could we could change the map on this overnight and end up finding out 20 years down the road that we really haven't changed anything. Yeah. Any Any thoughts on that? I, I think what I would do is I would reverse engineer. There's four books that have been published in the last couple of years. Let's start with adulthood and go down to children. So with adulthood, sure. I would I would talk about uh, John Mark Comer's the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm-hmm. And under that, I would put uh, David Kinnaman's book, uh, Faith for Exiles. Then I would put Kara Powell's book, Three Big Questions. And I would put Awana's book, Resilience. All mm-hmm. four books are having the exact same conversation, four different life phases, adulthood, young adulthood, students Mm -hmm. and children. And what's remarkable, if you read all four books, we're really all saying the same thing. We've all done research answering the question, what is forming a child or a a human disciple at each of the different phases? And uh, David did some great work that I think we can reverse engineer back into into childhood. And we found those three areas to be what we call belong, believe, become, or belong is highly relational, Mm -hmm. believe is deeply scriptural, and become is truly experiential. So if I were a kid's pastor today, I, I would want to read all four of those books and look for those key themes. And how could I build my ministry around relationships, scripture engagement, and experiences with children? Yeah, David, anything to add on that as an author in that list? Well, th- thanks, uh, Matt, for for mentioning the projects that we've done. And I think Kara's work is is incredible, Sticky Faith, and and mm-hmm. she's done some incredible work on that, uh, Kara Powell. And um I think a, another way to answer the question, Carrie, is mm. that <clears throat> we know what we're doing right now isn't really working, and it's not just not working, sort of. It's not working at all. Um, and sure. and that's not to say there's never any any good that comes of it. God does good even when, despite our best efforts. Um, but you know, only ten percent of eighteen to twenty nine year olds are resilient disciples, um, and what we're doing out, out of out of all that come through our churches or have experience in our in our Christian communities, only 10% are resilient disciples. So what we're doing isn't really working unless we're really happy with only 10% sort of resilient discipleship output. And and so even if some of the things that we try um, don't end up working much better, at least we're trying something different. At least we're mm. we're leaning in. And the benefit of social research is it doesn't always tell us ca- causal relationships. If you do this, then you will have certain outcomes, but it at least tells us something about the resilient disciples and what makes them distinct. And could we then orient our work towards trying to produce more of the good things that seem to be present in the lives of these resilient disciples? Uh, Kara Powell has done a book called Sticky Faith, another book called Growing Young, Mm -hmm. where she's looking at the church environments that create, essentially not her words, but but resilience. And at Faith for Exiles, was really looking at the qualities of those resilient disciples. And so, um, you know, I think but basically what Matt and I would say is that people should be doing their homework. You don't have to agree with any of the things we've concluded in the research and, and, and try it, test it. I mean, push it back on it. 
but try to do something different. You know, like mm-hmm. look at the look at the underlying assumptions of our ministry and wh- why are they not producing m- more of what we really hope for? And I think the answers start to really stare you in the face. And and then it comes back to just to put a a, a particular uh, sheen on this. You know, Jesus says it would be better for us to have a millstone put around our neck than for us to mislead or, I mean, that's about heresy, but it's also like mm-hmm. if our models are actually not producing what we want, Jesus puts a, a very high standard on on the outcomes of our ministry, of uh, the faithfulness of our work. And I think we have that kind of responsibility, that level of responsibility to uh, this and emerging, this and next generation's uh, to to do this right and to to take steps, even if we end up faltering, and in twenty years, even what what we've d- learned through research needs to be rebuilt. That's that's better <laughs> than trying to do things that were based on you know nineteen eighties models. So one of the things you both hinted at, <clears throat> which is a very big concern, I think, for a lot of people, is digital technology. You know, the iPhone really has changed discipleship. David, you've written a lot about that. Matt, I know this is in your world. And, you know, it's not just in kids and teenagers. I'm reading a book right now by Johan Hari called Stolen Focus. And uh, it really chronicles, it's a little bit like a follow-up to Nicholas Carr's The Shallows, but mm-hmm. where even adults like academics who maybe got their doctorate 20 years ago are having trouble reading full-length reports because something is happening. There's a hijacking of our minds. And I mean, you can follow this in adult world with Tristan Harris and the work of other people in this area, but we're kind of losing agency in our ability to think independently and our ability to formulate complex thoughts. And, you know, I've had the advantage of a long pre-digital memory and it's happening to me. How does the iPhone change discipleship for 14-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 10-year-olds? Like, what's happening there? I I think in two words, it's hyper-individualism. The iPhone Mm. has given us, uh, you know, we're kind of swimming in this this worldview of you be you, live your truth. I mean, that's the ecosystem that we're all we're all swimming. So the iPhone has just given us the opportunity and the ability. And we, of course, we pass that new technology that's not been tested on humans ever in history. And we pass that along to our children. I'm sure we've even seen the 18 month old sitting in their stroller scrolling through a device. And it just, it's shocking to see that. Uh, But it's given our young people, our students and our children, the ability to live a hyper individualized curated life. I remember a time when you couldn't order a plain cheeseburger at McDonald's, like it was a different world, right? (laughs) But we're living in a world today where I can curate my, the perception of who I am and the things I'm interested in because that ability, that, that option is available to me. And so our children are being highly formed by this, not having the awareness of what life could have been like uh, prior to the existence of this technology. Then when you add on top of that, through this conduit, this interstate system, I have access to uh, an endless, like they've said before, there's no there's no end to the internet. You can't scroll to the bottom of it. We have access to so much information. Our children are being uh, significantly formed at a young age. So it's, that, it's mm-hmm. that quote we're all hearing. It's not a matter of are our children being discipled. It's a matter of who or what is discipling our children. And they're being discipled in the image of a hyper-individualist. Hyper So let's get into practical uh, strategies then, because I think we all sense that things are changing. I think most of us have probably sensed that, well, yeah, one in 10, maybe on a good day is sticking around with a resilient faith. But when you're thinking about re-engineering, you talked about the big three 
areas that you would be focusing on. Can you drill down on that a little bit? Like what does disciple pra- discipleship practically look like for elementary yep. and middle schoolers, Matt? So I, I think a question, so a question I've been asking since 2013, perhaps even before, the question that my wife and I have been asking where we put our energy into is asking the question, what is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith mm-hmm. in children? And having done uh, up to this point, seven children's ministry research projects, one of them uh, with David and the Barnett Group, uh, we keep coming back to these three key areas. Uh, generally, we would call them relationships, Bible engagement, and experiences. Organizationally, we call them belong, believe, become. So as a children's ministry leader, whether that's in a, in a mega church where I've got a large staff, or even a small church where I'm maybe a volunteer or part-time, I think I on my imaginary whiteboard, I would put those three areas, uh, relationships and community. How can how can we design our entire children's ministry ecosystem and, and experience and system to be highly relational to where we see children, uh, we know them, we understand what their needs are. I know that this child is a high performer and accelerator, and this child uh, has, has food needs and has basic needs that are unmet. So, and everything in between. So is that like small group leadership? Sorry to interrupt, but I just, I want to get very practical. Correct. So you don't have a teacher, you have a small group leader. Is that what it is or what is it? Well, that's the that's for the local church to determine, right? Because we have mm. some churches that do maybe a large group, small group format. Other churches are still doing Sunday school and children's church. But that's right. setting up those leaders to where our, our starting point is understanding we have to know these children. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's a, that's a right. human being engaging with another human being. So our system cannot only be about facilitating a large group time. It has to have small group structures to where kids are known by a loving, caring adult. We've all heard about the, the Harvard research for the Center for the Developing Child. You know, resiliency is because children have someone who's going to walk alongside of them to help them through life's challenges. So that first area is relationships and community. So build my system uh, to where that is a is a core value. And by the way, that may involve senior leadership partnering with me in that because senior leaders can cast vision about volunteerism in service in a way that can transform the way a community comes around children. Uh, but that second area is Bible engagement. Uh, you know, we oftentimes teach Bibles through digital devices and even on screens, which is, which is fine. But kids can also be confused if they never, you know, they never see like the Bible is God's word. It's, it's an inspired book. So even holding a physical object and reading it together and singing it together all of these key tactics and behaviors we can teach children to participate in. That sounds like common sense, but if we're not careful, we've streamlined all of our systems to where it's such a digital experience. Uh, we may not be engaging children rhythmically and consistently uh, with Bible engagement and giving them the skills to interact with it on their own. And that third and final area is experiences, meaning children need people to engage and interact with their lives consistently, whether that be a parent, a coach, a community, someone who's looking out for them and helping them navigate a very tricky world that's far different from the one that you and I grew up in. How is that different from the first point? Uh, like if you've got a small group leader or relationally based ministry, is this more one-to-one or like what? what is, how is the third like experience is different than I would say uh, complexity first? and complexity and nuance and time it takes to unpack the answer. But experiences hmm. I would say are teaching children the practices of living out the faith and, and connecting ah. with God relationally, engaging his, his word, 
experiencing God's presence as well as what we were just talking about, which is also navigational and walking alongside of it. So experience mm-hmm. is kind of a broad category for experiencing God, using my gifts and talents to ex- ex- uh, to live out a life, uh, and then also someone walking alongside me as I experience uh, life itself. In our research um, <clears throat> for Faith for Exiles, you know, we were looking at what is what are the factors of resilience, and um, I hadn't thought about it before now, Matt. But you know, we have these five areas of identity in Jesus, rooted in Jesus, ca- countercultural mission, um, which means sort of like ev- evangelism and other other things, um, generosity, and and then a third thing called vocational discipleship. All of which would be kind of areas that could be experience driven. So, how do we experience Jesus? How do we learn about our 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 efforts to evangelize and steward and you know like god's word is so replete with uh descriptions of our care for the poor mm-hmm. and how we see others yep. across mm-hmm. various socioeconomic and i think kids are just they're just they're you know one of the, the the just to pause my little my little my little thought here and and go on something else for just a second and i'll come back to it is that what one of the fundamental truths of our research through the many many years um, starting with George's work, our work with Awana, um, and and then and then now just fifteen years or so of me studying, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z, is that we we absolutely do a disservice to young people by not assuming they can learn as much as 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 you know. Th- there might be some mm-hmm. age graded things, but we we underestimate how much they can be challenged by the sophistication of the message of the gospel. The gospel is a very simple mm-hmm. message, but life in the real world is. Is incredibly complex and it's only intensifying. And um, if you take anything from this 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 podcast, m- m- at least for me, um, it is that we 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 don't expect to challenge young people as much as they want to be challenged. Um, and 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 by the way, parents are living in fear in ways that that you know even Christian, especially good Christian parents, live in fear for reasons that we're, we're that are that are I think unbiblical because we're supposed to have a, a sound mind and. A spirit of, of of power and love and sound mind, not a spirit of fear. And so, what I hear Matt saying in in his um, in his three, you know, we we also have this area of you know l- like a learning community based on scripture, which is um, this idea of, of cultural discernment, and then and then meaningful relationships. So we have five factors in in our work on resilience, and and really Matt sort of talking about three of them, and, and it's almost like you could collapse the the the, mm-hmm. the final one into a range of experiences. That relate to how you help young people identify their callings and giftings, how they experience the world around them, how they understand even even war and loss and pandemic. We we again we should be building all that into our uh, models of ministry. Um, sex, sexuality. I know that again mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes churches are are reluctant to talk about issues of sexuality because you don't want to do it too soon because parents might be upset. But that's the whole point: is that parents actually need to be prepared. At much earlier ages, and their students and young people need to be prepared at much earlier ages because they're going to encounter this. And um, and again, with the courage to do this is such an exciting opportunity for me as I mm-hmm. think about what children's ministry is and could become. So I want to ask you because again, we talked about it briefly, touched on it. What is the role, Matt, that parents versus children's ministry leaders can play in engaging the spiritual formation of their kids? Because you're right, if the church is feeling under-equipped, <laughs> I'm sure parents still feel the same way. So what what can parents do and how can church leaders and parents partner together? 
Yeah, going back to that that objective model of those three Bs, those three areas: belong, believe, become, or that that belong, which is relationships. So, what what we've been trying to say is, re, for some children, it's going to be a highly engaged parent or even a moderately engaged parent. For other children, it's going to be some combination of both. But for some children, it may only be the local church. I, I read an article this past year that said the church discipled me, and it was a it was a, a story of. An encounter after encounter of it was really only the church that discipled this particular author. Um, so I, my point is the the key is the insight here is that one loving, caring adult can make all the difference in, in mm. the relational engagement of a child's discipleship journey. Ideally, it would be the church and the home uh, working together. And so I, I think children's ministry, or excuse me, the family ministry movement is at a stalemate. You know, this th- that w- work we referenced earlier, George Barna's work of uh, parents are the primary uh, disciples of their kids. I think we've, we hit kind of a stalemate where the church has really adopted that message, but the parents are not necessarily picking up the ball. You know, Kara Powell's work, mm. work in Sticky Face said that 12% of all, only 12% of parents are actually engaging with their students uh, in terms of mm. spiritual conversations. And so it's really not happened. I think the only way to break the stalemate is for the church to move beyond programming to equipping and community building. If we can change the culture of the church uh, to become more about how do we have a community that views mm. children as individuals we've got to come alongside of relationally and then actually move to equipping. Again, we have that soundbite of parents are the primary disciples and we give them resources, but have we ever taught them the vision, the skills behind it? So yeah. I think once we move to equipping, we're gonna start seeing the needle move a little bit but without community and equipping, we're going to continue to be at a stalemate. So I think that's what parents really need is, is community and equipping. So what I'd love as we wrap up is a word, a short word from each of you on, because these are really big issues and we're talking about generational shifts and once in a decade shifts. Something really practical, a senior pastor, student pastor, next-gen pastor, children's pastor can do, or even a volunteer as a result of listening to this podcast, if they're like, okay, those are really big issues. What can I do this week that will make a difference? David, what would you say? I think trying to understand uh, young people in your in your congregation um, really well, like listening to them, asking them questions mm-hmm. about what they want to do with their life. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt talked about hyper-individualism and the church should be the, the most hyper-individual community uh, that we ever encounter, which is to be known by our people and then to be known ultimately by God who sends us out on mission. And so the more you can practice listening, hearing, understanding, wow, if a, if a nine-year-old could articulate what they want to do with their career or <clears throat> with their mental health issues they're struggling with or with their fears, if we could create the kind of community that actually hears and listens to individual students in a way that's even deeper than what our iPhone or what our smart device can do for us, I think we could actually change change the way people experience the gospel. Um, and so how can you become the right kind of, like, like I think technology is the wrong kind of hyper-individualism, even though it's a very powerful mm-hmm. device and we all want, we want things to be, you know, suited for our lives. I think the church can be the right side of hyper-individualism. And we even see in Psalm 139, like, like God knows mm-hmm. us at such an intimate level, search my anxious thoughts. You, you've created me before the foundations of time. Like you've known me and you know, like all these ways in which the scriptures tell us that we have a very intensely personal, hyper-personal God. 
And um, how can we embody that kind of hyper hyper personalization as a community in all the right ways and all the right biblical ways? I think that could be the challenge for us. Okay, Matt, what would you say to the leader looking for something tangible? I think the most tangible thing we could do is have the best conversation. So getting the lead pastor and the children's pastor together answering the question, how can we form children who have lasting faith? And if you can get the lead pastor participating in that conversation, I think it's going to lead to a better long-term church. Oftentimes, lead pastors might be a bit removed from children's ministry, and in many ways, understandably so. But I think if that that lead pastor could understand the power that they have in transforming a culture that can develop community and equip parents, I think that could lead to the best conversation so that by that time that child turns 11, 12 years old and they're graduating out of children's ministry, we may be nudging children up into the youth group who are more formed in the image of Jesus. Matt Markins, thank you so much. David, we got a, a webinar coming up too that I think you want to tell people about. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we're so happy to be hosting uh, this this webinar, a free webinar called Children's Ministry in a New Reality, Four Trends Affecting the Future of Kids' Discipleship. And uh, you can learn more about that at barna.com slash awana, barna.com slash awana. Uh, for those that are viewing our, our, our podcast here, I'm showing you this uh, Children's Ministry in a New Reality, a brand new report uh, that we just finished with Awana, um, and it'll be launching um, in, in late May. Um, and you can check out more about what we learned. We, we try to make a lot of our stuff available for free if you don't have the resources to purchase it. Uh, this will be, I think, about a $39 report. Uh, you can also subscribe to Access for all the things that we do. Um, and uh, But but this this great webinar where we'll try to equip you with, again, for free with, with what we've learned uh, through this research study. Uh, Matt and his team have been absolutely stellar to work with. Again, I think there's nothing that's more important than trying to understand how it is that we can build resilience uh, in and among our own kids and grandkids, uh, how our churches can be structured in such a way to produce that kind of lasting faith that Matt's been talking about. Um, so we're just honored to, to, to see you there. We hope you join us soon. Well, that's great. So you can go to barna.com slash Awana to get in on that. It's absolutely free. And uh, thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, David. Thank you to all of you who have been listening and watching this week's episode. Uh, it's uh, two years that we've been doing this, and uh, well, we hope it continues to serve you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review. It really means a lot to us, and share it on social as well. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.